So our key verses, again, will be on screen for you this morning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That was last week. Fun? Mm -hmm. Against such things there is no law. (laughs) Self-control, there you go. Uh, Okay. I want to read with you John chapter 15. It will not be on screen. I'm going to read all 17 verses, uh, 1 to 17, for you this morning. Just as a reminder, we've been through this a bit. But I'd like you to meditate on it as I'm reading it. I'm not going to go through every verse uh, today. We will highlight a few as we conclude this message, uh, this series. But I just want to, again, focus on Jesus speaking to the 11 apostles. And we're going to look at a bit of the context of that today. These beautiful, incredible words. Read with me. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears fruit much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you that these words are recorded by Matthew, who was there, present, heard these words, saw Jesus speaking saw the look on his face. Just the 11 of them heard him say these words, and now they're recorded for us. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray today that you would just bring us more deeply into this story so that we can see. When he said to them, the 11, that he's called them, you are called to this, he's also speaking to us here today. So may we hear these words 
coming from you, Holy Spirit, today. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So to get us started this morning, again, you know, I like to ask questions, but I want to just ask this question and start. You've seen the graphic. It's been up for like 12 weeks. Have any of you ever asked the question, what's with the locally grown bit? <laughs> like the series should just be called the fruit of the spirit, Glenn. Why, why, what's with that? What's with the locally grown? Nobody's asked me in 12 weeks. Like, do you not care? <laughs> I mean, some of you might be thinking like, well, it's just a, like it's a nod to the farm to table thing, you know, like, you know, I don't know. It's like, yeah, it sounds cool because it's local and, you know, it's organic and Janice would love that, of course, right? Well, no. There's actually a very good reason why you've done that. Um, you, you may know it sounds like it's a local thing or whatever, but it, it, listen, what I'm hoping today is that you'll see this. It's actually been quite premeditated. And I, I'm not really actually usually good at these kind of things, but it's been premeditated on the basis of today's message. It's today that we need to look at, looking at all of this fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, what these facets look like, these character traits look like, and and about learning where the fruit of the Spirit is actually grown. That's what we need to look at today. So we've repeatedly seen in the series the picture that Jesus painted for his disciples on that night, and he does for us today, this picture of a vineyard with Jesus as the vine, And as you and I as the branches, our Heavenly Father as the vine dresser, you know, the one who cares for the vine, and so on. But the context of this passage is very important. We didn't look at this before. We wanted to stick with the fruit and get into those things. But the context is important for us today. If you travel back into chapters 13 and 14, you're going to notice that all of this is taking place at night. Actually, very late by this time, when Jesus is saying these words to his disciples. It's very late at night. In fact, it's actually right after the Passover meal, and it's hours before Jesus will be betrayed and crucified. And the 11 are there, and they're listening to him. And then he opens with the words, I am the true vine. Again, today, you know, we, we, we've been looking at it, and we think of well, like a, a vine, a vineyard, grapes, awesome, right? It's really good. The, very different understanding. These things would have stuck out to them right away when they heard this. First of all, this is the last of the seven I am statements. I am the bread of life, right? Jesus is constantly saying these things. And having heard him seven times now say, I am, they know full well that he's saying something incredibly profound, actually saying what will get him crucified tomorrow. He's claiming to be God. I am the great I am. I am the vine. The true vine is what he says. So first of all, he's claiming to be equal with God. And that's important. And that got their attention because they knew very well something else when he said the true vine. They also knew this about a vine. They knew that the Jewish people were seen to be, through all of the Old Testament, God's vineyard. This is an important metaphorical picture that they would have known. We see this in Isaiah 5, 7, which will be on screen for you. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. They were also painfully aware, of course, that they, the people of Israel, the vineyard of God, were far from faithful and true all the time. They knew that. 
kindness, on, on and on it goes, right? First of all, in us. Secondly, however, it is produced locally. Where? Right here. It's produced in the church. And how? In the same way that it was produced since the day of Pentecost. By the Spirit and by the Word. You, you again, you all know, we don't have to go and read it. You know what happened, right? The doubter, the, the one who denied Jesus three times, Peter. I re- relate to this guy so much. You know, the Holy Spirit comes upon all of them, men and women. They're proclaiming the excellencies of God on that day. Remember that. The excellencies of God. Peter steps up and does what? He preaches the word in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that I, I think about when I think about that, this is amazing. What we need to understand here is that Peter was a fisherman, right? It, it was like down here on the, you know, the totem pole when it comes to success in life. He was a mere fisherman. But one thing that we see, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. The one thing we see during his sermon is he knew the Bible. Sure, the Holy Spirit is inspiring him, but he's the prophecies of Joel. Listen, this is what you're seeing here. This is not people who are drunk with wine. This is, this is what has been proclaimed and prophesied from before. The Messiah would come and you would crucify him and kill him. And we did. And that day, of course, they were cut to the heart. 5,000 souls were baptized. That's a successful sermon, amen? <laughs> And the church was born. This is history. It's an amazing thing. So last Sunday, I left you with a bit of a teaser, right? <clears throat> I like doing that around small because people are like, what was he getting at? What's he talking about? A little bit of a teaser, which was also mentioned in the e-newsletter on Friday, related to what I want to suggest to you today is a key element related to vine work, uh, the, the, the health of a vine, how a vine grows, and how it supports the branches that then produce the fruit. It's an incredibly important element. It's not mentioned in John 15. That doesn't matter, mean that it's not important or real. And its purpose is to bear the weight of the many branches and their fruit. Like a vine, if it doesn't have this key element, is going to do what? It's just going to fall on the ground and, well, it's not going to survive. A little over 14 years ago, a book was required reading by all of us church planters. Um, I'm a late in life pastor, church planter. This is the first, will be the last. Uh, okay, just let you know. Um, and this book was required reading for all of us uh, to read because the leaders of our C2C network thought this is really important. You need to, as church planters, you need to read this because it's, it's going to help you in the planting and the leading of a church. The book was called, is called, the, here it is, Trellis and the Vine. Such an amazing book. I remember in the year that we, I have a church background. I've been in all kinds of different churches, many different denominations. I've seen church done this way, that way, not really good this way, great that way, whatever. And so you, you come into a situation you're like it's a fresh start. You're planning a church. You, you're not the sharpest tool in the shed, but you're trying to figure out how to do this and how to do it better. Yes, in the sense that there will be fruit, right? Like real fruit. This book was so helpful to me. And I'm so grateful for what I learned. The primary thesis of the book is to encourage church leaders, church planters, church members for that matter, to have a ministry mind shift away from what they call trellis work 
and, and more focused on vine work. Why is that? Because many, many churches, after typically 10, 15 years or more, they all of a sudden get focused on the wrong thing. They get focused more on the method rather than the mission. Anybody been there? <laughs> like it's all about the trellis, how we do things here, why we do things this way here, in the mission, making disciples who make disciples can get lost. And though that, I would suggest to you, is what vine work actually is. The authors Colin Marshall and Tony Payne are clear that both the trellis and the vine represent the church and that they're both important. They both are important. But I really love the way they define it. They would define each this way. Vine work, they would say, consists of the things like preaching the gospel in the power of the Spirit, seeing people converted, changed, and growing through the gospel... Vine work, then, is discipleship. It's Christian discipleship, is vine work. Trellis work, on the other hand, is the necessary framework that every vine needs. It includes such things as where people will meet on a Sunday when they're gathering or midweek. Uh, It includes a church leadership structure. It includes understanding your confession of faith and having sound doctrine that you're going to preach and teach from and other aspects of church infrastructure that some of you are very glad not to have to be part of, like finances and what color will the painting be on the building and on and on it goes. Amen? That's why some of you are not signing up for eldership. I understand. So with that in mind, let's have a look again at some of the graphics we've been using through this series just to give us a better picture. I've been saying this from the beginning of the series that, you know, I've seen all these pictures in the past about the fruit of the spirit. You see a picture of a tree. In that tree, there's a watermelon and a banana and an apple and a pear and all these different. And I'm like, what? Like, there's, there's no tree in the world that's like that. And by the way, it's a vine. The picture is about a vine. So here's what we've already seen in our series. First graphic will be this one. There, there we go. That's, that what, that's what grows at the end of a branch that's attached to a vine, right? And that's a, that's a healthy look at that. But that's, what is that? That's fully ripe. It's awesome, isn't it? It really is. And, and then the other picture we're going to have here is what we've been seeing. That's kind of like mid-July like J- July up in the Okanagan. And you can see like not all of the facets, all of the character traits of the fruit, which is one fruit, by the way, is fully ripe yet. So some tending and some sunlight and some watering and, you know, is going to need to be taking place So it, in order to get to that first picture. Now, there's one more picture, though, I want to show you, and it's this. There you go. That's not the Okanagan. That's actually the Napa Valley. And that, that guy, I think his shorts are too short. But anyway, um, <laughs> just saying. You know, um, but here, here you go. Like, this is the picture of a trellis, right? This is a modern-day vineyard trellis. And you can tell it, it's been set up. And I, I like this picture because you can see there's a vine there, and there's a vine there, and there's a vine there. And there's several vines, and each vine is going to have branches. Each v- branch is going to hopefully produce lots of fruit. What does that represent? Well, that, that could, since God's vineyard is still around. It could include, like, one of those vines could be the Rock Church. Another could be Squamish Baptist. Another could be... Grace Church on 99, and on and on it goes, right? I mean, we can stretch it without stretching it too far, right? This picture of understanding of what this is all about. And so, yeah, these pictures keep us in mind. But I wanted to show them again for you, but I think they'll help us dig a little bit deeper into this subject. 
So after many weeks of studying the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 to 23, we've learned this. We've learned that this one fruit is eight facets or character traits that are to be ripened in us, Lord willing, and with our submission to the Holy Spirit will happen. And it's really important and wonderful. However, in John 15, we repeatedly also hear Jesus saying things like, bear much fruit. So in John 15 too, for example, he says this, and we've read it, but I'll put it on screen for you. We will anyway. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So we, have, we are the branches that are... So, pardon me, we have branches, by the way, that are not abiding in him. Maybe they've come to look and see about this Jesus guy, you know. Maybe they've come uh, because someone's invited them to church. That would be a novel thing. That's awesome. And, 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 and they've been learning about this Christianity thing, but after a while, it's like, yeah, not for me. I don't know if I buy this, right? So that's a picture that we're seeing here that could possibly be that. Jesus told a parable about the soils. Remember that one? Rocky ground, thorny, right? And then there was good soil, so... We might be seeing that there. But then there are branches that actually, look at this, show signs of life. (laughs) They show signs of life. And that's a really, really good thing. They begin to bear some fruit. And so when that starts to happen, God dresses them and blesses them, right? So that this loving pruning will produce what? More and more and more fruit. So they start bearing much fruit. He goes on in verses 4 and 5 and says this, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And then he says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is, he or she it is, that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. I, I, I don't know about you, but I don't like being told that. You know, like when I hear that, it's at first it's a little like, really? No, it's true. It's true, obviously. But there's good news here, and we, we shouldn't miss the really, really good news. It is this. If you and I, if we are abiding in Christ, then what happens? We do bear much fruit. Not in and of ourselves, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, and because we're attached this crucial and beautiful vine. So finally on this point, Jesus adds in verse 8, by this, this, my Father is glorified. That's one of his main goals in life. (laughs) Always was and always will be. That you bear much fruit and look, so prove to be my disciples. Remember who he's talking to, looking in the eyes right now? The 11. He's speaking to the 11. And remember again who it is, as I'm saying, that Jesus is speaking to. It's the 11 apostles. Why is it only 11? Because Judas has left the meal, and Judas is the branch that has left and has been cut off and who will die. That was striking to them, very striking to them. So now we arrive at the key point in this message, I hope, when we are now faced with this great question. What exactly does it mean to bear much fruit? What exactly does that mean? Because I I don't know about you, but I'm I'm getting a little conflicted here. I'm seeing maybe two things that 
I don't know if you're seeing that too. Does it simply mean that all we individually need to do is work every day, pray every day, that the Holy Spirit will ripen his fruit in us? Right? Is that all it is? You know, that we will have love, joy, and peace, and that we will become better Christians, that we will we'll feel better about ourselves because we'll know that we have the fruit of the Spirit. You know, I, again, I don't know about you guys, but I, I have heard teaching in the church in the past where I kind of got this impression. It's a little bit like this. I feel like it's the kind of thinking that was birthed, that birthed the saying that, was a, that was, I later realized was really a terrible saying. It is this, just let your walk do your talking. Excuse me? My walk? You know, like maybe as a guy, you're walking around like this. Yeah, that's my walk, doing my talking. And as a girl, I'm not going to try to imitate how a woman might walk. But anyway, that can do a lot of talking, by the way, guys and gals. Is is that it? How in the world is that going to reach anyone and change anyone's heart when it comes to that? So it, it takes a lot of pressure off, though, doesn't it? I think that's why sometimes pastors and preachers, like, that's all. Look, you just go and invite people to church. I'll do that work for you, right? And so it takes a lot of pressure off you, man. You just got to go out there and be a good Christian. No. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at at all. And so I just need to live my life every day, allowing the fruit of the Spirit to grow in me, you know, become ripe in me, and that's it. Well, the command to be fruitful actually doesn't begin here in John 15, does it? It, it, it begins in Genesis 1, verse 28. At the very beginning, when God has created man and woman, male and female, in his image, what does he say to them? God blessed them and said to them, be what? Fruitful and multiply. All right? And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the flesh of the uh, fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing. So fruitful here and for the rest of the Bible means one word, multiplication. (laughs) That's what it means. It means to multiply, to literally to Adam and Eve and to the rest of us have babies, not just physical children, babies, yes. Disciples of Jesus Christ who placed their faith and trust in Jesus and you become a spiritual parent at that moment. That's multiplication. So approximately 30 to 40 days after the Passover meal in John 15 that we're reading, Jesus had with his disciples and shared with them about the vine. He famously said these words, and you all know them, but we need to see them on screen today, and they are these words to the disciples. Not just to the 11. The 11 are there, but about 120 women and Men are there listening to Jesus say this, and he says, go therefore and do what? Let your walk do your talking? (laughs) Not quite. Go and make disciples of all nations and do what? Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, And what else? Teach them everything to observe, pardon me, all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. And of course, the little Greek there, we've been over this before, but it's important. It's, 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 it's as you are going, because what are you doing every day? You're going. So as you are going, and then it's really a, a multiplication process there where it is really making disciples who make disciples. So bearing much fruit then is twofold, is it not? Bearing much fruit is twofold. 
First, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, in me, in us. It is the work of the Spirit in us, but it is also the work that the Holy Spirit wants to do through us, through us. It's got to be done in us first. We have to know him. We have to have slightly ripening fruit, but he wants to do a work through us, making disciples who make disciples. So the fruit of the Spirit in us is the means by which the fruit is produced through us. From the earliest days of planting the Rock Church, we, we have known, we made it really simple in the first four or five years that our mission statement was three words, making Jesus known, right? It's on one of our signs up front. It was, it was simple, right? Because that, that's what we want to be as a church. We want to tell people about Jesus, right? So it was simple. And, and it was also how we would decide as elders, but also as members as the church, what programs we were going to do, what things we were going to do. People had all these great ideas. Well, we used to do this outreach at our other church, or we did this, or what about missions trips? And like, you know, why, why do we do this? So we would always ask this question of any idea. Will it make Jesus known? Will it, or will it just be a, a fun party, <laughs> like a fun activity, right? Will it be just that? And then we realized a few years later that, look, it was, it, was a good, it was a good mission statement. But we realized we need to flesh it out because the trellis and the vine came back into my mind and into the mind of others who read the book and we talked about it. And it was this. No, we need to expand our mission statement to be this. Making Jesus known by <laughs> making disciples who make disciples. So now today the idea is this. If someone's comes up with this great idea for an event or whatever we want to do or program or service to the church, it, it's, it's going to be about, will it have the potential not just to make Jesus known, but to make disciples who make disciples? It is actually one of the reasons why I felt it was a good idea to highlight Christian climbers in our e-newsletter on Friday and also this morning. Why? Because... Over the last couple of years, men and women in our church, family and others, have, have been doing this, and, and it's very clear that it's not just about climbing. It is. Why? Because that's a social thing that people want to do. It's something they, they, they want to enjoy together in community, but there is the Bible is being opened. The Word of God is being explained and talked about. People are being prayed for. Some guys have actually come to church as a result of that. That's a mission, and that's something that's a church that we should support. <clears throat> so next, what we need to look at is the whole idea of converts versus disciples. So another key, then, is, making, is that making converts, by the way, is not the same thing as making disciples who make disciples. You all, you all understand that? Because I didn't. For years, I didn't understand that. I was part of churches again, great churches, but the whole idea was, you know, we want to do a Bible camp, or we want to do a missions trip, or we want to do this program, or whatever it is. And at the end of the day, we would all, we'd be going, how many people came forward? How many people made a profession of faith, right? How many people were baptized? That's a good, that's a good thing, right? See, at, our, at the Anvil Island Bible Camp that Janice and I worked at for many years, we would have kids on Friday night, you'd get, give them the gospel, and kids would like come forward, and they'd profess Jesus. Some of them would actually get baptized the next day on Saturday before they go home to their parents, which was a big surprise to their parents. But anyway, right? We would do that, and then we'd come home from camp and go, yeah, we had 36 kids profess faith in Jesus. What needs to happen next, do you think? Well, something called follow-up needs to take place. 
And if it doesn't, you may have made a convert, but they're going to go home. And they're going to be walking in various soils. And that little spark that happened on Friday night and maybe even on Saturday is potentially going to be lost. You all know the name Billy Graham. Most of you should, anyway. Uh, It's interesting, in his story, like his crusades were starting to become incredibly popular, people coming out, thousands of people. I mean, he was was the original rock star filling stadiums, right? And preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Great preacher, gospel preacher. Absolutely, no question about it. But he realized there was a problem. People were coming forward, you know, like the big guy with the baritone voice would be singing, come, right? And people would come, and they would profess faith in Jesus. Then they'd go back to that same town a year later, and some of those people would be back again, coming forward again. And they're like, what's going on here? He actually uh, contracted a man by the name of Thomas uh, Dawson, pardon me, Trotman in 1955. Why? Because this guy had written a little booklet that became known as a tract. And in that booklet, that booklet actually ended up becoming, through the Billy Graham Ministries, but also through this man, a ministry called The Navigators. Anyone ever heard of that? And it was all about following up. And it was from that point on, once they brought this man onto the team, that they, that they started to uh, have churches get involved with the Crusades come, and people would be at the stage with anyone who was coming forward and professing faith in Christ. And immediately, people from churches would be going, let me pray with you. By the way, here's the address of our church. And by the way, here's my phone number. And by the way, I'd love to get together with you this week for a coffee. It's called follow-up. It's called making disciples who make disciples. <laughs> it's locally grown. It's locally grown. It's done in the life of the church. But for many of us, it's kind of like, well, we got, we got a convert, so over to you, God. And Jesus' reply is, over to me? Did you not get the memo? Really? Right? So it's a beautiful picture. Like, my, my dear wife, she's upstairs teaching the kids right now, and she would probably be embarrassed for that I'm telling you this, but she helps her brother at uh, a Bible camp in Alberta every summer, and uh, she had a cabin of, uh, I think, 12 or 13 girls last year, and uh, that was fun. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she came home from that, and for the last several months, from September until actually... Uh, this month, May, no, May, last month, she met online via Zoom, that's fun, uh, with five or six of those girls at 3.30 every Tuesday for an hour, reading the Bible, listening to their stories about their life and praying with them. And it's called discipleship. It's called follow-up. It's incredibly important. So listen, as we conclude this morning, uh, I want to do two things. I want to encourage you but I want to exhort you. I want to exhort us, okay? So if you're a Christian here today, let me put it really clearly. This is the call that Jesus has on your life and my life. This is the call above everything else. It is the call to go and make disciples who make disciples, to be that invested in people's lives. There are literally no exceptions that I can find in the Bible to this. There are no, you know, secondary level of deacons that don't have to do this, right? It's all of us. Now, some of you might be sitting here today going, well, you know, but Glenn, you know, awesome, man. Like, I, I, I don't have the gift of evangelism, or at least I don't feel like it, or I need to be trained, and I, I wouldn't even know what to say, right? Like, I'm, I don't know how I would do that. Well, let me again be very, very kind and as gentle as I possibly can when I'm going to say this word. Nonsense. That's just rubbish, And here's why. 
Every single one of you and myself in this room are discipling people every day of our lives. Maybe not in Christ, but we're discipling people. And every one of you, and myself included, are being discipled by other people. Maybe not in Christ, but we are. Think of, besides Jesus and his church, all of the things that you love in your life today. Anyone here love cooking? Love going to a new vegan, not me, I'm a meditarian, but anyway, restaurant, right? And, and what about hot yoga? Or, you know, like exercise. What about rock climbing, windsurfing, mountain biking? Oh, yes, and golf. Come on. Like, how? Now think about this. How in the world, how did you ever become, how did that ever become something that you love? Someone discipled you. <laughs> Someone shared with you, I, yeah, this is so good. I really love doing this. And you, have, you not, have you not played 18 holes of golf before? It's painful at first, but it's awesome. Which, have you not done? That's disciple making. We do it all the time. You do it all the time. We do it all the time. Why? Because it's something we love. So here's a question for you. What's the first thing that you say when someone asks you, hey, how was your weekend? I'm going to leave that with you and the Lord, okay? Is the first thing going to be, oh, Saturday night, we had these people over for dinner and I had this new recipe for pasta and seafood. It was, and, and people loved it. I loved it because it was great. Or, yeah, you know, Sunday afternoon, we, uh, we went and climbed this new route. It was really... Does the subject of church ever come up first in your mind. Janice finds it so painful to go out with me sometimes and meet new people because she just knows that <clears throat> for some reason, it's not just because I'm a pastor. I did this before, but because I'm a pastor, I guess. You know, and she, she can tell by the line of what I'm asking them about what they do and, you know, like whatever. She's going, oh, no. He's got an agenda, right? Yes, I do. I have an agenda. Why? This is the call on my life. It's the call on your life. I really want to exhort you to see that that way. Have you ever heard of the priesthood of all believers, by the way? You ever heard that phrase? It's, it's, a, it's a phrase based on the teaching of the scripture. First Peter, which we went through a, a couple of months ago, Peter wrote this in chapter 2, verse 9. He said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Listen, every Christian is part of this royal priesthood. Every single one of you, if you're in faith in Jesus Christ here today, are priests. And, and as priests, you are called to proclaim the excellencies, remember the day of Pentecost? of Jesus Christ, of his word, to people. Now listen, I know, I know there's lots of controversy out there with people about, you know, who's qualified to stand where I'm standing right now and to do what I'm doing for 45 minutes, I'm going over time this morning, I know, on a Sunday morning. There might be a lot of debate about that. But here's one thing that there's no debate about, guys. There's no debate about this whatsoever. There are no restrictions whatsoever for any of you here, man, woman, or child for that matter, to take this or what's written in this and go out there and tell people about Jesus Christ. There are no restrictions about who can lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ. None that I can find. There are no restrictions on who can become a spiritual parent to someone else. I want to leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. 
someone who did an awful lot of follow-up. Have you read his letters? They're all follow-up. He's a disciple maker. Like he just models it for us, just like Jesus did. But he models it over and over and over. He's so excited. He writes to the church in Thessalonica, one one of his favorite churches because of what happened with them. I just want to read what he says in verses 6 to 8. And he says to them this. He says, "And, and you became, look at this, imitators of us. You became that. We followed up with you. We discipled you. But you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you, look, received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, spirit and word, so that you became an example to look all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. He goes on, but not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Paul's literally saying here, my work is done here. Fruit is ripe in you guys. You're producing much fruit. It's evidence to anyone who knows who you are. Friends, would it not be an amazing thing that one day, one day, people across Canada, maybe the U.S., maybe Europe, would say, man, have you heard about those churches in Squamish? Man, have you heard about how the Spirit and the Word has gone forth through them. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, oh, Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit, thank you. I'm so going to miss uh, this particular subject that we've been going through for 12 weeks now about the fruit that you produce in us, Holy Spirit, that gives us the ability to produce much fruit. To see other men and women come to faith in Christ. To to be someone who plants a seed, someone who waters that plant, someone who tends that plant, someone who baptizes that branch. Ah, Lord, what what an amazing picture that is. The Holy Spirit, I pray today for every one of my brothers and sisters in our little church family that you would give them a vision and a heart for the lost in such a way that they see themselves as disciples who are called to go and make disciples and follow up and bless and tend and, and cast seeds and, and water and just love on young men and women, older men and women who are new in their faith and bring them to that point where they are themselves bearing much fruit. There's no greater, no greater thing that we can do in this life. So Lord, I pray that every one of my brothers and sisters and myself will see more of that in the days ahead. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.